Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Cop On. Thank you, everybody, for joining me. It's the second season preview that we've got, and I'm all jiggly, wiggly, pokery, absolutely um, squiggly with joy uh, because uh, um, Josh Sexton is here from the Anfield Rap, uh, Ryan is here from Talk Stuff, and Dave is here. And Dave is an expert on Norwich City. Uh, welcome to Cop On Podcast, Dave. Um, we're going to start uh, with, a, with a chat with you about uh, to preview the mighty Norwich game. Uh, so could you please tell our listeners, Dave, all about your work covering Norwich City FC? I'll try. Thanks very much for, for inviting me on. Um, I'm the chief Norwich City reporter at the Eastern Daily Press and Norwich Evening News newspapers uh, and host of the Pinkham podcast as well. Uh, this will be my fifth season covering Norwich full time, but it was for uh, three or four years before that that I was covering games here and there as well. So, uh, But I'm from Norfolk originally, so uh, yeah, me and Norwich City go all the way back. That's absolutely marvellous stuff. And, um, you know, they, it's all go, you were saying before we started recording. You, you just signed a, a new player, is that right? Yeah, last night they signed Josh Sargent from Werder Bremen, who is a USA international striker or can play on the wing as well. Um, that looks like it's about eight million initially, but possibly with a bit more to follow. But um, he comes in and that will probably mean that Jordan Hugill, the former Preston striker, will move on at some point if they can get a, a club to stump up enough money for him. Um, but he's down the pecking order now. Uh, and the lad who boarded a flight in Greece uh, this lunchtime is Christos Zolis, who's at Pauk. Uh, he's a Greek international winger. He had a brilliant season last year. He's only 19, but 16 goals, 10 assists, and uh, Norwich is stumping up for him. That's pretty much going to be a club record, uh, just over 9 million up front, rising to about 11 million with a, a sell-on as well. So uh, Norwich's uh, club record is a, is a little bit uh, of a point of contention. The most they ever paid up front was 8.5 for Ricky Van Wolfswinkel, which I'm sure most people will remember that being a bit of a disaster, uh, and Stephen Naismith as well. But once you working add-ons and all those sort of things. Their, their club record's about 10 million. Well, it's it's great stuff because you've signed loads of players, haven't we? I mean, let's let's just talk about the transfers for a moment. I mean, you know, it, it's been all go this summer. You signed this one guy because I was looking at the the stats. I don't really know the players, sorry, but I did I did have a statistical look at them. And uh, the guy you got from Lee Guy is very interesting. Uh, Pierre, oh, I forget his name. It's Pierre. Lise Malou. Lise Malou. There you Lise go. One, yeah. Yeah, he was um he's playing at Nice. He's got sort of 150 appearances in the top flight in France under his belt and he's a he's a bit of an interesting story because he uh, rose through the the ranks he only became a professional at 21 years old but he played alongside Alan St Maximan at Nice among other players Mario Balotelli uh, and has got a good reputation but when the uh, as has been quite widely reported isn't it in France they were all struggling for money when their television deal had disappeared they've now sort of found some parity with that and got a replacement in place. But in the uh, in that window, when they all thought they were in trouble, Norwich nipped in and got him for about £5 million. So he's sort of 6-1, athletic, lots of experience. And Norwich had a player called Mario Vrancic in recent seasons who was very good in the Championship, but didn't quite make the grade in the Premier League, didn't, couldn't quite handle the pace of it. So we're hoping that he's basically sort of the, uh, the Premier League version of Vrancic, but we shall see. We shall see, but it was very interesting. He was in the 97th percentile for tackles won compared to midfielders in the top five leagues, according to those excellent stats bomb. 
um, stats, and he was good in other areas as well, but I, I was particularly impressed with that, averaging about, I think it was 3.5 tackles per 90, something like that. So yeah, we can expect someone combative, uh, pretty good with the ball, I believe his pass completion was about 85%. And uh, who else are you excited amongst excited about amongst your new players Dave? Well I think the one that's probably going to have caught the attention of non-Norwich fans is Billy Gilmore in on loan from Chelsea uh, of course was the star man in that England game at Wembley at the Euros wasn't he and he was exceptional that night and, and Scotland were, were pretty good that night as well uh, with the Norwich captain at the heart of their defence in uh, in Grant Hanley who kept Harry Kane in his back pocket for the night but uh, yeah Gilmore we shall see I mean he, he's a young lad he's only 20 He's got this massive reputation and, and a couple of years ago he was nearly breaking through at Chelsea then, but he got a, a got a knee injury which pegged him back a bit. So you look at his competition at Chelsea in Kante, um, Jorginho and and um, who's the other lad I'm trying to think of at Chelsea? It'll come to me in a second, but obviously their, their midfield is... Kovacic, sorry. Kovacic. That's the one I'm trying to think of, Kovacic, yeah. Um they so he's not going to get in ahead of them at the moment he's got to prove himself in the premier league and if he does that with norwich then, then that will be great and daniel farker proved with oliver skip from tottenham last year that he's a really good coach for developing young players as we've seen with james madison ben godfrey lots of players coming through now you max aarons todd campwell so yeah gilmore's probably the most high profile one um along with Sargent, who they signed this week they also signed Werder bremen's sort of star player milot rashitza he's a very experienced bundesliga winger got a good goal scoring record on him spent about eight million on him with with possible add-ons they brought angus gunn back to the club who's a norwich boy of course his dad brian was is an absolute club legend most top flight appearances of any norwich player in the club's history so he's come in as tim Krull's main competition because it's not really worked out for him at southampton and they made the loans of ben gibson and demetrius yanoulis permanent uh so sat here today as we're, we're recording uh the the signing of Christoph Zollis hasn't gone through yet, but they've spent upwards of 40 million. So at least this season, the, the other the fans of other clubs can't really look at Norwich and say, well, you haven't done enough. You haven't spent any money. You haven't tried to uh, survive at the Premier, Premier League level because that is by far and away the most they've ever spent in a transfer window. And that's with a loss of about 35 million thanks to COVID in the last year or so as well. So um, they can't push the boat out there. They can't buy 25 million pound players. But for Norwich, this is um, serious transfer business. It sounds very exciting. And and it sounds like they're doing a very sensible thing by, you know, shopping in these leagues. I mean, Rashica, who you mentioned, came from uh, the team that finished 17th in the Bundesliga last season. Uh, but he's a, you know, he's a, he's a hotly... Uh, prized talent, uh, so I think that's very smart business. Um, zooming out in general uh, to the whole season, um, what are your expectations and your hopes and your dreams for this season? <laughs> well, I think if you if you just look at it logically, then Norwich should go down, shouldn't they? They're the only self-funded club in the Premier League. Uh, they are kind of a different case to everyone else. They don't have a, a wealthy owner. They uh, pride themselves on on living within their means almost that's how Delia Smith and her husband want the club to be they want the club to be an example and to try and do things the right way and not go chasing a billionaire from abroad who's gonna just pump money into the club and that means that mistakes can just be written off they are trying to do something which greatly increases the difficulty of their task to be frank but 
they are showing that it's quite possible to bring success, certainly in the championship anyway. They've won the title twice in the last three seasons. Um, the last Premier League season in between those two, of course, became a completely complete disaster in the end, uh, was the worst season in the club's history. They just imploded a bit in the end. But it had started off quite brightly and then their whole defence just got wiped out by an injury crisis and they never really recovered from it really in the second half of the season. And certainly when they came back from the pandemic, confidence was just gone had absolutely disappeared so um they're very much hopeful that they won't um have that kind of season again that they will be much more competitive but again as we sit here today with three weeks of the transfer window remaining all the fans are hoping that the transfer business isn't yet done they would still like to see certainly a, a defensive midfielder come in because Oliver Skip hasn't been replaced and Alex Tete has moved on as well, veteran midfielder. Uh, so they haven't really got a, an out-and-out defensive midfielder. Um, a centre-back, would another one would be very welcome and they probably need another full-back. So I think if they get those three in, or at least two of them, then the fans will start to feel that little, little bit more confident about the season ahead because there's full faith in Daniel Farker. He is totally won Norwich fans over. He is a very, very popular man, as much for his character, as much as the style of play, because they do play very nice, attacking, expansive football. And as we saw two seasons ago, when they played the big boys, they tended to look more comfortable than when they were coming up against a Watford or a Burnley or a Palace who were going to park the bus a bit more and make things more difficult. That's got to be the big, big difference this year. They've got to be more streetwise, more savvy. They've got to take more points off direct rivals if they're going to stay in the fight because they did not do that at all two seasons ago. So it's very interesting to see how it will work out. Last time after promotion, they basically just rewarded everyone with a new contract and they kept faith with them. This time, as we've already spoken about a bit, you can already see that that emphasis has changed. Daniel Farker and the sporting director, Stuart Webber, they've gone out and they've evolved the squad. They've moved a lot of players on. A lot of the players who were... Um, pivotal parts of it two seasons ago um, led by of course Emmy Buendia being sold to Aston Villa for an initial 33 million rising to 38 um, they basically had to had to cash in on him to allow them to do that that building work but also Emmy wanted the move so yeah it's been a very very busy summer and, and seeing what the results of it all going to be all are going to be in the next few weeks is going to be really interesting because they've got an incredibly difficult start as well against your boys of course at Carrow on the opening day then it's Manchester City away Leicester at home Arsenal away so if they can come out of any of that opening forward points I think Norwich fans would be pretty happy wow yeah what a what a start that's a that's a quite a quite a challenge but that's that's excellent stuff I mean moving on to you know to the actual game on the weekend I do have a little sort of niggling fear that you know like, like you were saying two seasons ago um the you know unfortunately your season kind of fizzled out and you know you you drop back down to the championship so then then to bounce back from that and not only bounce back from that to get promotion but to win the championship with 97 points is is an incredible achievement really and then um you know like you say you've got lots of promising new new players coming in There's a, the squad has been strengthened in general I wonder if you think maybe there's a chance that Liverpool will underestimate Norwich and there can be a big surprise. Uh, you know, I mean, the last time Norwich beat Liverpool was on the 1st of May 1993. 
So I just wonder if Liverpool could be too confident going into this match and this new gritty, steely Norwich can can surprise a few. Is that realistic or are Liverpool going to win 7-0? Hmm, well... Norwich are capable of competing with anyone as long as they turn up, but whether they'll actually turn up at the moment with all this change that's going on it is another thing. What maybe a lot of people who don't follow Norwich closely won't realise is that that famous result from two seasons ago when they beat Manchester City at the start of the season, 3-2, an epic night at Carrow Road, an unforgettable night when I wouldn't say Manchester City underestimated Norwich, but they... They certainly didn't play well enough against a Norwich team that were ravaged by injuries. And, and that basically brought a bit of a united spirit and it became like an FA Cup game, uh, David versus Goliath sort of encounter. And Man City didn't play badly that, that night. They created absolutely loads of chances. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. I think they had something like 30 shots at goal. So it was just backs to the wall, heroic defensive job after getting into that lead and they just clung on to the end and, and got a famous result. So I think with the with the crowd returning to Carrow Road for, for this game, that's going to add a real bit of oomph to the performance. And there's going to be quite a bit of that sort of celebratory feel still around from, from the title win from last season, which hasn't really been celebrated yet because, you know, a couple of hundred fans turned up at the stadium on the night. It was confirmed, but that, that was about it, really. There was no, obviously, no parade or anything like that because of because of COVID. So the place will be absolutely bouncing. The players are going to be very keen to impress. And you might just see Norwich play a, a better level than they will manage to average across the, across the edge of the season. But ultimately, um, when it comes to these sort of games, if Liverpool turn up and show the control that they're capable of and you've got Van Dijk back in the mix and things like that, if if Liverpool play as well as they can, then, then Norwich realistically shouldn't have much of a chance, should they? But that's that's not how things tend to go. And and as you said in your question there, they, they showed a real great deal of the character in the way that they bounced back last year because, A, they didn't have the fans there to rule them on for the vast majority of the time. Uh, and B, when they were relegated, they weren't just relegated. They lost 10 games in a row. It was the worst run in the club's history, uh, the worst fin- uh, worst season in the club's history. And you wouldn't have blamed Daniel Farker from walking away from the whole project and just saying, I can't do this. Self-funded model doesn't work. I'm off to Germany where I'll get a good job now. No, he stuck it out. They reshaped the squad and they've come back feeling like they're even tighter and more united group but also they are more streetwise they have got more defensive solidity but we all no one connected with Norwich City is underestimating how how big the step up is that's very interesting answer thank you so much um just one one final question because I know you've got to you've got to skip off and you know follow the get the get on flight tracker website to follow that flight (laughs) from Greece um but uh if you were to set uh, Liverpool up to exploit Norwich's weaknesses. What what would you say your your main weaknesses are in your team? Hmm, interesting. Well, uh, as I said, they're, they're better in central defence now. So the, uh, a problem two years ago was set pieces. Um, they conceded a lot from set pieces and just tended to be a bit of a mess. Their zonal marking ended up looking pretty silly at times. I guess the obvious one, given what I said a bit earlier about recruitment, is that they don't have a defensive midfielder. So if you've got someone or somebody who's seen as a recognised defensive midfielder like Alex Tete was or, or Oliver Skip was um, and for the moment it's probably going to be Billy Gilmore or Lisa Malou 
generally playing that slightly deeper role. So maybe someone a bit more withdrawn who's going to take some shots from the ed edge of the area is going to be quite productive. But uh, the, probably the most obvious one is the fact that for, throughout Daniel Farker's four seasons, the fullbacks have always bombed on really hard. It's been uh, a big part of it. Max Aarons, that's kind of what he's built his reputation on. And you knew this, who is um, a Greece teammate of Simicast, uh, left back as well. They're kind of, they compete for that left back slot in the Greece squad. He is very much an attacking, athletic fullback as well. But defensively, they're not so great. So, you know, if you've got Salah dropping out wide to attack Yanoulis or Alexander-Arnold bombing forward or whatever, I, I think they probably could cause him problems because he only arrived in England in, in January. is probably still getting to grips with things a little bit, but we've seen some really encouraging flashes of what he's capable of. So, yeah, if I was going to pinpoint anywhere perfectly honestly, then getting in behind the fullbacks is probably the probably the way to do it. That's absolutely brilliant. Um, thank you very much, uh, Dave Freezer from the Eastern Daily Press and the podcast The Pinken. That's pink as in the colour and then UN. Uh, do check that out for all Norwich City news. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Dave. Thank you very much. And it's great to hear your views about all kinds of things. And, uh, you know, the fact that you've got a player called You Knew This, because I did not know that. And uh, thank you so much. Have have a great day. Good luck carrying, um, you know, uh, carrying the news to the Norwich faithful. Great stuff. Thanks for having me on. Enjoy the game. All right. Um, wow, that was really interesting. And now I've got three other guests who are just sat there patiently listening to all that stuff. Um, Josh Sexton from the Anfield Rap, welcome to Cop On Podcast, your Cop On debut. Um, what did you think about what Dave was saying there? I mean, is it something that, you know, are you also do have this inkling of a worry about... Uh, about Liverpool perhaps underestimating the challenge that's ahead of them? Or is Jürgen far too canny and long in his German tooth for that? I think it can become something of a, of a self-fulfilling prophecy, can't it, really? And I think, you know, we as Liverpool fans are, are all too aware of that, that if we get too heads up on, on who our, you know, bogey teams are and who the teams we underestimate are, then we tend to actually, you know, maybe overreact to how good they are going to be. I think this Liverpool side will feel really confident about the way that they're... <clears throat> the way their pre-season has gone and the, and the way that they've prepared for this new season. So I don't think they'll they'll be sort of shirking at, at the challenge that Norwich will bring. They also won't underestimate it either, though Jurgen Klopp's one of those managers who's always sort of talked up sides to play against and, 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 and been really respectful about what is in front of us. And he'll know the good job that Daniel Fox done at Norwich to get them back up to, to the Premier League again, and even the good job he did in getting them to the, the Premier League a few seasons back and, and, and sort of since then. So I think Jurgen Klopp will be more more than aware of the challenges, players be more than aware of the challenge, but I, I fully expect them to, to completely rise to that. I like it. I love the answer. I like it. Um, superb stuff. Ryan, you're back on Cop On. Welcome, to, welcome back. I mean, it's an absolute delight to, to have you with us. Our pre-season has gone well, hasn't it? How excited are you for this, for this Norwich match coming up? Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, uh, glad to be back, by the way. Um, Having seen, I went to. I was lucky enough to get to go to match yesterday. He took me kid cousin to his first ever game, uh, which was a really special moment for me. But seeing Gomez back in the team, seeing Simic has really impressed me yesterday. Um, has got me very excited for the season ahead. Uh, Kanate looks great. Um, I thought Minamino looks better than he's ever looked in the Liverpool shirt. I know it's only pre-season, but I think there's a, a genuine 
sense of purpose about the way he moves uh, or was moving yesterday. So, yeah, really excited. It's great stuff. I'm going to ask you questions about the Osasuna match in a bit. Um, I'm delighted that we've also got on the line now Stephen Drennan from Crack Stats. How's it going, Stephen? Um, you've just launched your own podcast. That's exciting. Can you tell our listeners about that, please? Yeah, um, I actually just found out uh, this morning when I was looking at the one-year anniversary of launching the website. Pretty much the day we launched the podcast, which um, interesting timing. But um, it, it's interesting. I, I'm sort of a very introvert person, so I don't really like public speaking or I don't like hearing my own voice. I don't like talking. Uh, so a podcast is a weird choice for me. But it's basically just like um, the medium that people use now to absorb information about sport. Um, podcasts are becoming more popular a lot less people are reading articles um, and with articles you can sort of do visuals and explain things probably a lot better but you also maybe have to just go with whatever people want and if people want podcasts I, I kind of need to find a way to do that and even though I literally shake like a leaf while doing these and I'm not even joking I, I, I still need to find a way to do it so uh, yeah it's a very interesting move for me but it, I, I sort of just go with the flow well, they say about public speaking that you're supposed to imagine the people that you're speaking to naked. I, I wouldn't recommend it, um, you know, with, with, in my case, because uh, you don't want to, you know, puke as well as start shaking. Um, but uh, uh, who would you pick in defence, Stephen? That will give you a nice, easy question, because it's one of the most difficult questions of the day, excuse me, but who would you pick in centre de- central defence against Norwich if you were the big man, Jürgen? Yeah, it's a re- it's actually a really tough question, and, and the reason is, is that um, basically we sent Kanyari early, and, and the, the fact that we've done that maybe suggests we had in mind that he would start the season, so we needed to get him in as early as possible. But there was little things you could see yesterday, like little movements he does um, that, that carry over from Leipzig that we don't use. He, he, he passed the ball out to Trent Alexander-Arnold at one point. I sent a Trent alexander uh, Nico Williams at one point, and then ran forward to get a square ball from him. But if we lose the ball, we're wide open. And because no one's expecting it, like Fabinho didn't drop in to that space and the number eight didn't drop into Fabinho's space. So it, it it's little things like that that are kind of a problem that he hasn't adjusted to the Liverpool way yet. And he will, and it'll take a bit of time, but he, he will do it. But on the other side, we've got Van Dijk and Gomez who can't complete games at the moment. And I also just don't think it's wise to go from playing... Uh, 40 minutes a week ago to like um, a high intensity Premier League game so quickly. I think we probably have it in mind that Van Dijk and Gomez need to be eased back in and they probably won't be starting games properly until after the next international break. Um, And for that reason, I think Canary will start. But there is some little tendencies he has in his game carried over from Leipzig where they were very fluid in terms of defenders moving up the pitch and other players dropping in for them and they often played three at the back as well we're not set up to do those things the players don't react in the same way and it's a case of whether we're going to adjust to him or he's going to adjust to us first and it's probably needing to be the the former um and it isn't quite there yet so there there are some concerns um i still think it'll be matup and uh kanate tomorrow but um I wouldn't be, uh, it's not tomorrow, uh, for the noise game, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's actually uh, something different, maybe even like a, a Nat Phillips starting, something kind of surprising um, against what we would consider one of the weaker teams, um, because we maybe don't like that risk of of Canary in there while he's still adjusting to things. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think it'll be Canary and Matic. 
It's an excellent answer. It's a really, really good answer. Um, Josh, how impressed have you been with Ibu? Yeah, I've, I've been massively impressed with him. I think, you know, from, from when he came into the club and all the sort of whispers we heard about what he was he was like at Leipzig, I think he's he's shown flashes of, of all of those, you know, attributes in, in, in pre-season. It's been his composure, I think, which has surprised me the most because it was the thing that probably wasn't so often spoke about when he did come from Leipzig. And I think he's, you know, he's still... Such a, a young lad in, in the sense of that fence playing for a, for a big club like Liverpool, it, it's got to be a sort of you know it, it can be an overawing experience I think, but I think he's he's shown it you know obviously you don't ever want to get carried away with preseason performances, but he's shown in preseason that while he while he still will make mistakes because he is he is a young lad, he knows how to atone for them and he doesn't you know lose his head in in those situations because then you can look at several Liverpool defenders over the over the past sort of ten years in particular who. Once they make a mistake, they just seem to absolutely sort of shrink in on them on themselves. But I don't believe that Kanate is 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 going to be you know in that similar vein. I think he we've probably got somebody there who who is closer to the sort of you know level of composure of Virgil Van Dijk and, and Joe Gomez and Joel Matip, who who have been amazing for Liverpool the past few years. So it seems like the the, the Reds have got a good one in Kanate there. That's a lovely answer. Um, I I. I... It's one of my life's ambitions to come up with a song that Liverpool fans sing. And I would recommend, because you guys go to the match, Josh and Ryan, and, uh, you know, because you're lucky enough to, to live near Anfield. And, um, you know, I, th- I think for Konate it would be a really good idea to get one of those um, banging, for want of a, a better word, PSG chance going for Konate because he's a Paris lad, you know, like the da 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 da, Ibu Konate da 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 da, Ibu Konate. Of course, it needs a bit of work. Sorry. Yes, Ryan. Sorry, I was just joining in. Thank you very much. Thank you. I think it might need a bit of work. Maybe some, some, uh, some, some words. You know, back attack. You know, he's a giant at the back, and he will. Uh, murder your attack, but then we don't want to condone these kind of things like murder. Anyway, Ryan, coming to you next. Um, uh, we talked about the the wealth of treasure, the gold mines that we have at centre back uh, with Ibu, uh, with Virgil, obviously, Joe Gomez, obviously, Joel Matip, not obviously to everybody, but obviously to us at Copon, one of the best centre backs in the world. Uh, so uh, there's no problem there. And another exciting area of the pitch, Ryan, is in midfield. And uh, we've got, uh, you know, Harvey, Andres Iniesta, uh, Philip Coutinho, hybrid Elliot uh, in midfield, um, who's looked absolutely sensational, hasn't he? And uh, also Nabi Keita, who, if, if, if he's not the best player uh, best midfielder to ever play in a Liverpool shirt, um, then maybe I'm not exaggerating. I don't know. There were too many. I don't know. Um, talk to me about the midfield uh, before I put another negative into this sentence and um, I'd really get confused. So I'm really glad that you've asked us about this because um, I have a bunch of concerns uh, and not necessarily for the knowledge game, and, and sure, maybe I'm being overly complacent, but I think we can go and turn them over. I think we've got enough quality and got enough work rate to do that. My bigger concern is for Chelsea a week later, because with Robbo being out and Simakas being at left-back, we need to bring in Milner, I think, on the left side of the midfield. And then you have Fabinho. And then I would ideally want Henderson and not Thiago to, to play, and not Harvey Elliott and not Nabilad. 
I just think we need to start off a little bit Brexity with our midfield choices, a little bit conservative and a little bit protective of the back four behind us because it is going to be a little bit new, particularly if Canate starts. Um, as much as, I, by the way, I'd like to see a Nat Phillips diddle in there, I, I don't think he's played enough in pre-season to, to be genuinely considered by Klopp at the minute. So um, I'd like to see Harvey Elliott getting minutes off the bench. A little bit concerned about Curtis Jones as well because he, he went off last night. Um, but he's another one that I'd like to see more of this season. Um, I think we're almost letting Curtis go under the radar a little bit because of how impressive Harvey Elliott's been. But I'm not necessarily convinced that long-term Klopp's looking at Harvey Elliott, and I might be wrong, but I'm not convinced he's looking at Harvey Elliott as a midfielder, more trying to shape Harvey Elliott's all-round game to make him a little bit more aware of the players around him and their jobs in the team for when he plays in the forward line. That's very interesting, right? But then you mentioned Nat Phillips um, not having enough minutes in pre-season. But what about Henderson, Ryan? You know, and you wouldn't, you're talking about bringing Henderson into the team um, this weekend against Norwich? You're absolutely right. There's no... There's no answer, that I, and I've been going back and forth on this all day. There's no right answer for me when I look at these. I think the closest is Naby, but Naby, as brilliant he is in the, the 40 yards or so in the opposition's half, like leading toward their goal, I think he's a little bit weaker doing the defensive stuff in our half. I think front foot press, front foot, front foot, there you go, pressing, I think he's fantastic, uh, but a little bit. He's not going to provide the cover that a Henderson would for Trent when Trent gets forward. And I just want to make sure that we have as much protection as we can for our back line. See, this is exactly the point I was making in the last cop on that we recorded yesterday. Was about yes, I mean Harvey Elliott, I love his his progress. He's looked he's looked brilliant. But when he does uh, go forward, yeah, I mean there are spaces in behind when Mo Salah's attacking, when. Um, you know, when uh, when Trent is attacking and, uh, you know, that's why I think we need a destroyer in midfield. But um, I think Harvey's been brilliant. And I think that I think that might be his role. You know, I think that I think Klopp might be thinking of him more as a number eight because he does lack the pace that Klopp loves going forward. But anyway, um, Stephen, what would you do in midfield? I mean, surely, surely Naby lad's got to play at least, doesn't he? Yeah, it's um, a very interesting uh, problem Klopp has because basically uh, Thiago and Henderson aren't playing enough minutes at the moment to suggest that they're near match fitness. Um, you probably don't want to be throwing someone in cold in the uh, Premier League game. The, the fact that Henderson only managed about like 15 or 20 minutes yesterday, it probably suggests he's not near ready starting a match yet, but you could probably get like 30 or 40 minutes out of him off the bench. Um we also probably just don't need Henderson for a game like Norwich. The, the game after that, Chelsea is very interesting. Um, I think Ram was saying about uh, possibly playing Milner and Henderson with Fabinho. Um, I, I don't know if you remember, but that was the the midfield we had for the Super Cup game against Chelsea, and our midfield was all over the place that whole match because Henderson and Milner have this tendency to just drift wide to get on the ball and. The more open your midfield is, it, it's a problem because it's, it makes you very easy to play through. And if you have someone like Mascherano in there or, or Kante, who can run about the pitch like a pit bull, just putting down any attack, it's not so much of a problem, but that's not really Fabinho's game. Fabinho likes playing in a small space, and he likes the attacks to be funneled into him, and creating like basically a little kill zone where he just kills the attacks. Um, 
and it doesn't really work when you have um, Milner and Henderson in the team because they're basically diametrically opposed to exactly the way Fabinho wants to play in midfield. And Klopp's mantra keeps going on about compact, com- compactness, and that's on and off the ball. And and it's interesting that the midfielders he's trying to sign don't look anything like Milner and Henderson. And I've always wondered what the next evolution of our midfield is, because what he inherited probably isn't what he would buy. But once he gets it, it's basically his to make the best out of. And he, he loves making the best out of whatever players he has. And he doesn't really force players out. So I think he's basically always been making the best of what he has. But I think if he had a completely clean slate, he probably wouldn't sign the likes of Henderson and Milner in midfield. And, and that's why it's always been a constant conundrum in my head. It's basically what we have versus what he would probably like to do. Um, and at the moment, I think that the midfield he would probably like to play would be Fabinho, Thiago and Keita. And that's a good balance. That's got your, your guy that's going to anchor the midfield and sit in front of the defence and protect zone 14. And he doesn't stray very far from that. It's also got your guy who can link play very well and, and basically um, connect the forwards with the, the midfield. But it's also got your penetrative midfielder as well, which is something we've always lacked a little bit. Um, and that's basically the guy that can break lines and, and, and run beyond the forwards and carry the ball um, through midfield. It's got a bit of everything, and, and, and I really like it. And the problem has always just been fitness. Thiago doesn't have a great fitness record. Keita doesn't have a great fitness record. And if you go through our whole midfield, that's basically the same story for everyone. Nobody has a really great fitness record at the moment. Even Milner's starting to break down because he, he's getting to that age. Um, he played like five games in a row last season. He got a hamstring injury. So that's my concern with midfield. Everybody's a little bit injury prone. Um, and I'm not sure what the solution is to that either because... There has to be a point where you've just got too much depth and it's hurting the rest of the squad because you're dumping so much resources into one position um, and you've using up so many squad places that you end up light for a fullback, light for a centre-back. So I, I don't know what he's going to do. It, it, it's an interesting thing as like a, an observer to see how he solves the problem. It totally is interesting, absolutely. Um, we've been talking on Copon recently about um, you know the brilliance of the end of last season, of course, when we... We either, I, I, I think it was we won eight and drew two, and, and in f- former episodes I said we won seven, drew two, and lost one, but the site I was looking at was wrong, I think. We won eight and drew two. But what we haven't really talked about is is the bad period, you know, the, the dark ages of of last season when we lost six in a row at home, you know, which, which we'd never done before. Even Hodge, Hodgie couldn't pull that one off. And, um, you know, we... we in that run, I think, Josh, the midfield was, was a big problem, um, especially in behind Thiago when we lost the ball. Because, I mean, it all looks lovely when you're, when you're playing the ball and, we, and you're going through the team, you're working the ball forward. It looks absolutely beautiful to have these ball-playing, ball-carrying midfielders. But when you lose it, Thiago basically can't run backwards. And without Fabinho in the team, we don't have any kind of shield, as Stephen was saying, with Henderson, Milner, even Genie when he was there. Not naturally um, adept at uh, you know being a sort of um, you know being being a wrecker uh, in midfield. So well, I wondered what what you would go for, Josh. What kind of profile are you looking for? A sort of twinkle toes, and we'll never lose the ball again in midfield. Or or would you agree with me that we need? some kind of reinforcement that's going to help 
when Fabinho gets injured, because he surely will. And so we need another sort of number six type. I think it's interesting because Jurgen Klopp and his sort of staff have always signed players who are who are really sort of specialists in their roles, and I think that applies in particular to the the midfield, which is is, is strange in terms of the way that you perceive football from from the outside, because you sort of think of midfielders as these you know all round players and and players who can go backwards and forwards. But actually, what we've seen at Liverpool is that you know there's a lot of lads there who who do very different jobs to each other, and and I think you see that when players have to fill in for each other. You mentioned the sort of destroyer role before, and and how good Fabinho is at that, but we've seen. You know, Henderson play at number six, and although it's not his, his favour position, I think he's he's sort of you know made it very clear he favours the number eight position because it allows him to shuttle up and down the pitch. He, he can still play the number six. He just happens to play it very differently to Fabinho. I think Milner at times last season showed that he can he can play bits of the six, but he probably needs somebody else around him to do a bit of, of, of the sort of water carrying. Um, I think what you saw last season, particularly in the bad periods, was just that we had too many midfielders who's whose job it wasn't really to be picking apart attacks and, and, and to be, you know, sort of protecting the, the defence. And a lot of it ended up lying on, on Thiago, who was, you know, not only not only not built in, in that sort of mould, but he was brand new to the club and he was he was trying to adapt to this this new league, this new system and was, and was having to do so in a position that was pretty much completely un, unfamiliar to him. So if I was if I was the club and, 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 and sort of Jurgen Klopp, I think I would be looking for, for another sort of Fabinho type of, of midfielder but I think it's so much of it will be about age profile now because I don't really see if, if everybody is fit how you can improve on on that midfield as as it sort of is I think you need somebody who is happy to play a bit of a bit of backup to that midfield and then you know you can sell them the project eventually somewhere down the line in the future when you say well you know once you've trained with with these lads who've won all the trophies under the sun for for three years you can then come into the team and, and come into your own and and you know implement that those those learnings that you've had so I can't really sit here and, and sort of say what Michael Edwards should do because he'll know far more players around around Europe than than I will who who can do that sort of specialist role. But that that is personally what what I would like to see added to the midfield, if if anything. Um, just to add on something Joyce said there about specialists. Um, I, I always thought it was very interesting that um, Rafa Benitez built a very specialist oriented midfield. Uh, had like the the deep land playmaker, the the guy who would basically be the legs for that playmaker. And then that those two would basically release Jared to basically roam around and destroy teams. Uh, the biggest criticism of Brendan Rodgers was always that he didn't do that. He he signed very generalist midfielders like Joel, um, players that basically you you put the midfield in and and they can basically do any roles sort of well, but aren't really excelling at anything. Uh, and I think that's interesting that the biggest shift in in our midfield over the years has been when we've been good, we've had those specialists in midfield. Um, when we haven't, we were basically a team loaded with, with sort of generalists without a very specific rule that they excelled at. And people could say, oh, yeah, he's really good at that. Um, and it's sort of interesting how those contrasts sort of worked over the years with different managers. That's a very good point. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, guys. That's totally brilliant answers there. Um, we're going to move on from the midfield uh, and, and move forward. Uh, and Ryan, i got a question for you. Because uh, another big, big, big headache potentially for for Jurgen this weekend is 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 he going to start with um, presumably Bobby or Jota? He, or you know he's not presumably he's not going to drop Mane or, or Salah. So Bobby Firmino yesterday, you were at the Osasuna game. Um, he scored two goals. Um, he looked absolutely brilliant. Uh, on t- on telly on LFC TV go, 
And I just wonder if, you know, you were there in the stadium, if you got a real impression that this is, you know, Bobby, the uh, the beautiful, the salsa dancer, the, you know, the, the wiggler, the destroyer of teams. Is he back? I don't know about back because, you know, pre-season doesn't necessarily give you the greatest barometer of where someone is. But what I will say, and I missed the second goal, by the way, our kid wanted to get himself a hot dog, which issues in the in the stadium and that didn't happen but uh we went down for our time a little bit earlier and missed the third goal which was gutted about but uh he, he does have a really good record against Norwich I think um I, I would start the front three rather than start Jota um just because I think I think I'm just a big Bobby fan the song's great he's great I think give him a chance to to start the season and if it doesn't work you know we've got we've got Jota on the bench, you will come in and get goals. Uh, and I think Mane also has a point to prove. He's looked great in pre-season. Um, but I'd, I'd be tempted to, to see where we are with the front three and then whoever's not performing or whichever one's performing the least best, if you like, I'd bring Jota in for them. It's a great answer. And staying with you, Ryan, but um, I want to talk about another attacker yesterday. Um, I saw Grizz Khan from the excellent... LFC Day Trippers podcast. He he put a tweet out saying Minamino reminded him of Ben Ayun, and I thought that was an interesting shout. What did you make of Minamino yesterday? I thought he was amazing. Like the, the people around us in the stadium all thought he was brilliant. Um, there's definitely a player in there, and I think we could be about to see the best of Minamino in a Liverpool shirt. He just looks so much more confident. He looks so much more assured of himself, and knows like, he's got purpose in the team. He knows what he's doing. He's got plenty of technique to do it. He's got plenty of like his running's really smart. His touch is great. Um, I wouldn't start him in in the the first game of the season against Norwich, but. I'm certainly excited to see when he comes in because, like Ben Ayoun, he can do a whole bunch of different jobs in and around that front three. Uh, can I just say something on Minamino very quickly? I, th- I thought the contrast yesterday between the first half and second half was very interesting because usually when we've seen Minamino, he's been in with the sort of reserve teams, I guess, um, and we've seen him next to Origi. And second half, when he was next to Origi, it was the same thing. He He basically looked a very isolated player at times. I think Minamino thrives whenever you can play quick combinations and get him in amongst a bunch of our players. He's very good at basically just going into a little space, getting the ball, popping it out, moving and getting out of the space with it again. He's exceptional at that. But when you're playing with Origi, that isn't really Origi's game. And I I just thought it was was interesting to basically see as good as Minamino was yesterday. When you put him with the wrong players, he still looks like the same player as last season. Everyone criticised. And it just makes you wonder, basically, is most of the criticism the fact that we rarely see him with our best players. And whenever you put him with like a Keita or a, a Bobby Firmino or a Salah or those sorts of players that like playing in those little spaces, he excels because that's his game. But if you put him next to a big target man, it, it just doesn't really work. Um, and, and maybe that's the thing is basically 90% of our viewing of Minamino has been when he's in a sort of thrown together side that doesn't really connect well. His connection with um, Simicus was really good. Yeah, Simicus. yeah, I agree with that as well. Actually, I, I really like Simicus as well on that overlap. He looked like a someone broken out of the uh, Andrew Robertson mold. Yeah, man, absolutely, Simicus. Josh, I want, I want you to, um, you don't have to wax lyrical, you know, because uh, pe- people use use that um, term too often. But uh, you know, you can, you can, you know, rev up your, your, I don't know, whatever. Oh, I don't know. I, I, Simicus, Josh, the Greek scouser. 
<laughs> he's he's great, isn't he? And, and by by all the sort of noises coming out of the club, it seems like he he's fit into the the, the culture and and that sort of squad unit really well as well. He seems to be well liked, and I think during this preseason, he's 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 almost made us as, as supporters look you know as as silly as as we all are in terms of the way that we judge things so quickly because. I think last last season his, his adaptation to the Liverpool squad was was marred really by you know the pandemic, by injuries, by him getting COVID himself, and and sort of you know about as many things went wrong for him as as could possibly go wrong for him in terms of you know how he did settle into the squad and, and how he how he took up his his role within the squad, and and also you've got to bear in mind that he's behind one of the lads who who was made of who, who we all thought was made of granite at least until obviously is 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 untimely injury on on Sunday, but Robertson, you know, has played all the minutes under the sun for Liverpool, so it was about as difficult as it could possibly be for, for Samikas first coming into that team, but I think he's shown this pre-season there's definitely a player in there. You've sort of heard all some of the, the things coming out of Greece about how he how he's, he's been their best player and things like that, so I, I'm, I'm really confident in, in him, you know, for however long he needs to play um, while Robertson does recover from this this ligament damage, and, and uh, you know, I, I love what I've seen them. I particularly loved watching him live at, at Anfield yesterday. Um, I thought he, he got up and down the pitch really well. He looks quick. He looks really committed in, in a challenge, which I think you know we'll, we'll get we'll get a, a sort of Anfield a faithful on side. And I think that they're all the sort of marks of, of a cult hero. And I, I don't want to sort of brand him early as a cult hero because obviously what we think of cult heroes is that they they don't do sort of much for the for the football club in terms of their football and ability. But I think Samikas could could be that and then could add the football ability on top of that for sure. It's so exciting, isn't it? Because because I I think. We obviously um, can see the benefits now of Liverpool snaring uh, Bayern Munich's fitness team, basically, with uh, Mona Nemer, the nutritionist, and uh, their physical conditioner, who no longer really resembles Klopp. He's sort of come into his own since joining Liverpool, which is quite uh, nice to see. Andreas Kornmeyer. And, um, you, but now everyone, like, you know, since last year, including Minamino, even though he was away at Southampton, everybody looks sort of bulked up and beefy and, you know, ready to take on this season. Um, and it, it's a joy to watch. Um, we've only got about 10 minutes left. I've got loads and loads and loads of questions, but I'm really happy to have you on the, on the call, Josh. And I want you to tell our listeners uh, a little bit about what what's in store for the Anfield Rap subscribers this season. What have you got? What's cooking in the cauldron? Well, one of the things we've always sort of prided ourselves on at the Anfield Rap is is the fact that we are match going supporters and and that we tell that story of of you know following Liverpool Football Club, whether it's at home, whether it's away, whether it's in Europe. Um, I think on one of our on one of our videos, once John Gibbons said, if Liverpool played a game on the moon, then then we'd make it there and find a way to cover it. So. I think uh, I, th- I think that sort of expresses everything we've been about, and then obviously during the pandemic, there's been no fans allowed in stadiums, which has you know affected the way we work, and, and has meant we've had to adapt things. But then back this season now, full capacity grounds again. We'll be going back to to all the sort of home and away games, and that's that's massively exciting. And obviously we'll have we'll have a few new lads to to react to that we won't have seen play in in, in full stadiums in Premier League and Champions League games before for Liverpool. So that's a massively exciting prospect as well. And, Maybe even a few more before before the summer's out if uh, if Michael Edwards gets his act together for for these for these next couple of weeks. So it's it's a really really exciting time to to be following Liverpool Football Club. I genuinely think this is going to be a, a massive season for them, and and we'll be there every step of the way, sort of providing that for our subscribers. Yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, you know, um, I'm really happy for you that you get to you get to experience all that. I mean, it's a, it's a dream, isn't it? And it's um. 
How did you end up working at the Anfield Rep, though? How did you how did you land that job? Bit of a dream job, isn't it? Uh, it absolutely was for for me in particular coming out of of university because it was just a a small business at the time, so you'd you'd never sort of got the the pressures of 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 going and working somewhere in a more corporate environment. There was a lot of creative freedom for me as well coming out of university as as a young lad with 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 a sort of head full of of ideas about how I thought things should should work. So it was it was fantastic at the time, and it's it's only got better from there. Really, I started down for up five years ago I went to the University of Chester and did sports journalism there and then my my sort of head of my module if you will um, knew Gareth from from the Amphir app and asked if I was up for to go and doing some work experience there and as, as it sort of turned out I, I, I happened to just sort of fill one of the, the job roles that they that they had at the time which was as, as a sub-editor to, to Gareth and then sort of worked my way up from there to becoming an editor Gareth's gone off to, to do our video product which we launched a few years back as well now and it's just been going from from strength to strength from there for, for all of us really and, and it has been an absolute dream I've got to do some things that I never even dreamt I, I would do in terms of you know going out to America to cover the club's pre-season tour and and meeting or, or meeting you know, Divock Origi who had just scored the, the winning goal in the Champions League final things like that and getting the chance to interview him meeting the manager and getting the chance to interview him um, it has just been an absolute wild ride for, for all these five years but I'm expecting plenty more uh, plenty more good twists and turns as, as, uh, as my time down for up goes on. Is it ever rubbish? I mean, do you ever have a bad day? Because I don't, I can't imagine how it could be. <laughs> I think we all have, we all have good and bad days, don't we? It's, it's sort of human nature, and unfortunately, the way our, our brains and our, our bodies work. And there's days where, you know, being at the Amphorap does feel like a job. We we all do work really hard. I, I say it's gone from strength to strength. It's still only a, a team of about 13 of us full time working on it now. We've got over 100 contributors, which massively helps us to pull all the podcasts and videos together. But there's there's so much legwork that goes on behind the scenes and, and cert- on, obviously on certain days that, that can become a, a lot to handle, particularly during the summer months when people are trying to get, you know, holiday days in and things like that as well. It, it sort of requires all, all hands to the pump if, if Liverpool are assigning players and playing pre-season games as, as, they, as they sort of have done. Um, this summer in terms of playing pre-season games, obviously not with, the, with so much of the signing players yet, not as much as we'd maybe like. So there are days where it does feel like a job, but there's, there's also, it's counteracted massively by the days where, it does just feel completely like a dream come true, and and, and they're the ones that I'll sort of remember when I, when I look back on this experience. Yeah, that's totally awesome. Um, just one thing though, that is a bugbear of mine. Um, I've I've actually interviewed John Gibbons and Neil Atkinson, and I've forgotten both times. I forgot to actually tell them the pronunciation of Nabi Kater is not Kater. Okay, can you can you please speak to Atkinson? Especially, he's the biggest criminal in all of this, and it's not—it's not the thing you fly. It is not a kite. It is Kater, as in Kate, as in Winslet Moss or AD. Okay, so just a little thing. Uh, but uh, thank you for the great content. I mean, it's absolutely superb, and I do recommend all of our listeners subscribe to the Emperor Rap if you don't already. And speaking of uh, you know exciting things and exciting podcasts, Stephen. Um, with crack stats, what what are the latest uh, developments? You've got some new, some uh, the second episode is coming out soon. Is that right? Yeah, but um, we're in a sort of a moment here where we're making promos better than our our actual episodes, which is entirely down to the fact that again, I'm not someone that's very good on podcasts. I don't really like speaking, and my voice probably comes across as sort of Liam Neeson sounding depressed. But um, I think I'm I'm sort of I'm going to get better. I swear, I promise, I'll get better at this. Uh, and, and hopefully, I'll, like you, I'll add some dynamic to my voice. Maybe not as much as you. Um, that's probably not possible. 
but um, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly going to work on it, work on my craft. Um, but yeah, I mean, every, everything's going well. The only problem is just time, basically. It's like, it's really hard. Uh, like, I'm sure Josh is talking about the Anfield rap, but basically I'm trying to uh, like produce articles and then also like do all the data stuff behind it and then do the, the podcasts. And then I'm having to like learn how to edit video and, and, and soft and sound. And it, it's really, really hard because I'm not very good with technology. So it, it's very hard to stay on top of everything and, and get content out. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm sort of going to keep pushing it and see what it can do. Um, the, the website's still going. I need to put more articles up on it and I need to get more podcasts out and uh, just sort of find a way to do it. Um, and, and sort of get over all my, my little hang-ups, I guess. <laughs> it's a great answer, but uh, yeah, it is it is tough, isn't it? I mean, even just on the podcasting side, sometimes to get everything together and, you know, even yesterday I forgot to press stop on one machine and so it was running for hours and hours and then when I finally realised and pressed stop, my computer crashed. So the audio was was <laughs> was not very good for yesterday's episode, but there you go, it's little, little things like that. Uh, but anyway... I'm delighted to, to, to bring you all, uh, you know, cop on as ever. And, uh, you know, do check out everybody's podcast because I love them all. I love them all. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, a final question. I mean, we're moving, we're moving on, you know, towards the end of August, the 21 uh, days left. Um, have you identified anyone, Stephen, with, you, with your fantastic work with Stats, who you think uh, would be a great fit that you'd love us to sign? Or you don't give a monkeys, you'll just sit back and watch, uh, watch uh, Michael Edwards work his genius magic wand magic? Yeah, I mean, it, it's basically, I used to be very former, but now I've sort of moved into the latter. I find it's more productive of my time to try and understand what Michael Edwards and, and Jurgen Klopp does and why. Um, like, say, for example, signing Diego Jada, Diego Jada probably wasn't a, a name that everyone had in their mind. But it's interesting when you look at him and basically think, well, why are we looking at him rather than, than someone else? Um, and, and that's always very interesting to me because rather than me assuming that I'm right and they should be signing the players that I want them to sign, it's probably a lot more productive for anybody to think, why are the people considered the best in the world at their jobs? looking at different people than I were, was looking at. And so I, I always try to take the latter approach. I'm, I'm very low on criticism of, of Michael Edwards and clap for the players assigned because there's no point. They, they've proved that they're basically better than anybody at, at, at picking up players. Jurgen Klopp put together a, a, the side of Borussia Dortmund on a like a shoestring budget. I think he was making like a net profit for, for the first few years he was there and, and yet put together a team that won the Bundesliga, got the Champions League final. He always said that his problem wasn't um, building a team. That's the easy part. It's keeping it together. And I think it's very interesting that the, the work this summer seems to be more focused on sorting that problem he always had. It's keeping the good team together because everyone that's key players is basically in their final two years now. So we're seeing lots of deals, which is massively going to increase our wage budget to get the likes of Trent Alexander-Arnold, um, uh, Fabinho, Allison, Van Dijk, Salah, Firmino, Mane, uh, Robertson, I mean, Henderson, they all need new deals. They're on the last two years now. So um, I, I think that's basically our focus this summer. Um, whether or not we actually sign anyone, I think we need to. But whoever we sign, it's probably going to be the same as the sort of players we've signed in the past. It's the guys that are not quite at the world-class level yet, that they get, or don't have that reputation yet, let's say. So like, if you look at Mohamed Salah, no one was saying, Mohamed Salah, sign him and he's going to win the Golden Boot Award three years in a row or score 40 goals in a seat. No one thought that, but that's who Jurgen Klopp signed for that job. So 
I think that's the sort of player we're going to sign. It's someone who he thinks can be molded to change them as a player to suit what we need, rather than signing a superstar like a Pogba, an Mbappe, a Haaland, someone who's going to come and expect the team to be built around them and to service them. And I think it's that malleability. I don't even know if that's a word, but malleability to make a player what you need for your system is the key thing Jurgen Klopp wants. So it's I suspect that's what we'll see. Players in that 40 million budget range. And that disappoints fans because fans all want a superstar, a marquee signing. We're probably not going to get one. It's a lovely answer. And rumours today, rumours abound on on Twitter about Dan Juma, um, whose full name is Arnout Dan Juma Groneveld. Uh, he was born in Lagos, but he's a, he's a Dutch... Uh, national Dutch international in fact and um, I, I think he's really really great uh, as as a profile he's uh, 24 years old um, played in the championship with Bournemouth last season in which he got 15 goals and seven assists from the wing and he'd be a great sort of fifth choice attacker or even sixth choice after Minamino because he's uh, he's he's looking great anyway we're, we're sort of uh, running out of time so we've, we've run out of time I've just got one more question I'm going to ask for all of you, going back to where it all started with Norwich City, um, Ryan, um, what's going to happen on the weekend? What's your score prediction, please? 4 nil. 4 nil to Norwich. No, don't be daft. <laughs> I do think we absolutely battered them. I think one of the biggest problems I found with Norwich the last time they were in the Premier League is that they had Grant Hanley as their main start and centre-back, and he's just, not, he's just not at that level. I think they haven't upgraded him, uh, so... We'll go out and batter them. I love it. Josh, what about you? I'm with Ryan. I think Liverpool will have too much of them, but I do expect Norwich to, to put up a fight. I think we saw that when they came to, to Anfield on the first game of the season a, a couple of seasons back now. So I, I think I'll go for them have, uh, getting a goal, but I think it'll be 4-1 to the Reds. 4-0, 4-1. This is dreamland. Is it a hat-trick, Stephen, of easy wins for the Reds? Uh, I'm, I actually think it'll be a come-from-behind win. Probably like a 3-1. Come from behind win. I was actually an Ipswich Town season ticket holder when I lived in Ipswich because I just like going to watch football. So it, it sort of means a bit more to me to uh, to beat them because I like to see Norwich get a hiding. Excellent stuff. I lived in Milan when Ipswich played into Milan and I managed to get tickets because none of the local Milanese uh, even knew what Ipswich was, let alone that it was a it was a town. <laughs> And, uh, the, you know, they had a football team and I saw Christian Vieri get a hat-trick and it was unbelievable. Uh, but anyway, um, I digress into the, into the, you know, through the synapses of memory. But I want to thank you. Come back to the present because it's all, we're all feeling zingy. We're all feeling really upbeat for the new season. Um, thank you very much to Josh. Uh, and remember to pass on the Navigator pronunciation, please, please. Uh, and thank you very much to Stephen and thank you very much to Ryan it's been an absolute joy talking to you all thank you so much thanks very much